Golight presents Murder Most Irish. Obviously, mum. So obviously, mum told him because I haven't spoken to him. And then mum was like, "Oh, you know, he just doesn't listen to me. He doesn't listen to me." And I was like, "Right." So yesterday, I was like, "I better drop in." So I dropped in, and he was like, "Here, tell me now what this doctor, what's going on with this doctor stuff." And I was like, "So I was like, I have a uh, kidney disease." And he was like, "Yeah." And what does that mean? <laughs> I was like, um, I was like, so my kidneys. It's called IGA nephropathy. I can't even pronounce that. Can't even pronounce that. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, no. I, I was like, I didn't make up the name of the disease. And he was like, right. And so what, what's that mean? And I was like, so pretty much my kidneys are like my body is essentially dropping an antibody into my kidneys to reject them because it thinks it's like a foreign body. It thinks it's like a, something bad. And he yeah. was like, right. And what, what are they going to do? And I was like, well, there's actually no cure. Well, there's no good news here, is there? <laughs> oh, so he was just like flipping about it. And then he was like, what's the point of these doctors, eh? What's the point of them? What? They don't do anything. And I was like, okay. Well, they kept you alive, Anto. They and then I was like, alive. so I was like, I have to have treatment. And I was like, and I have to be on medication. And yeah. I have to have the kidney biopsy. And he was like, and what's this thing with the blood transplant? And I was like, you just have to be prepared because kidneys are super sensitive and you might bleed out. So you just have to be prepped for a blood transfusion in yeah. case you need it. And I have to stay in hospital for like a day. And then I have to stay in bed for like a couple of days afterwards because your kidneys are really sensitive. And you'll yeah. be like, I'll be urinating blood and stuff. Oh, jeez. What's this mean now? What? Like, and he was like, what's the point in these doctors? Huh? What's the point in them? What's the point in them? He was so angry. And I was like... Yeah, and he was like, there's no cure? There's no cure? And then he was like, I'll just give you one of my kidneys. And then I was like, I actually don't think I can have a kidney transplant. What do you mean? I was like, like, the doctor said that they're unlikely to give me one because my body is rejecting my own kidneys. Oh, so then it would probably even more so reject like somebody else's kidneys. So their likelihood that it would reject another, like someone else's is higher and it would happen faster. Right, I guess like He was like, uh, just like so angry, and I was like, um, I'm gonna go now. <laughs> like, I well, like, like it's probably because, like, I mean, I understand him being angry in the sense that, like, he's like, oh, why can't they cure us? Do you know what yeah. I mean? But the only, the only positive about it is that they've caught it very early. I said all that to so, him, but it wasn't good you know? enough. He was like, yeah, <clears throat> yeah but like, calm down. I was like, right, and then I was like, it's super early. I was like, you know. I'd be on medication and he was like, and what, what medication are you on? And I was going through all that and he was like, and how long are you going to be on that for? And I was like, for like, I'd be on some version of it for the rest of my life and yeah. I might be on steroids for a while and then come off steroids. I might be on the Ozempic for a bit and come off that. I might do a mixture of like the Ozempic and the diabetic medication for a while. I was like, we just have to like, it's like trial and error. Figure it out. And yeah. I was like, and I have to, I'll remain seeing a specialist or this specialist. Like, indefinitely, essentially. Yeah. And he was, like, just really angry about it. And I was, like, so, um, bye. Like, I was, like, I don't know what... I have nothing to say to you that's going to make you feel better. But, like, also, it's just, like, I don't get people who react... I get pe- people who react like that. But also, I don't get people who react like that. Because when you're in that stage, all you need is someone to be reassuring. You need someone to be, like... Well, you know what? We're gonna sort. Well, this is what's happening, and explain that to me, and blah blah blah. Not like screaming about it. This doesn't yeah. help anybody. But yeah. I get why. I get why he's doing it. But at the same time, we both have parents who are children. Yeah, so and I kind of like not to adults, be fair like, to like everybody. I don't think anybody is like. I don't think anybody's made me feel in any way comforted. If you know what I mean, because it's yeah. like I just like I told my mom, and she was like. It'll be it'll be okay, and I wanted to be like, no, it won't be okay. Like it's not going to be okay. 
Yeah. It's actually not. And she was like, you're going to get better and you're going to get over this. And I was like, <laughs> no, I'm I'm not going to get over it. Yeah. Like, this is just part of my life now. It's a chronic illness. That's yeah. what it is. It's a and chronic then, illness. And um, then Graham just cried. And then I was like, if you don't stop fucking crying. <laughs> and then... <laughs> and then I kind of was like fine, but then yesterday I was a little bit sad because I like don't I don't want to take this medication. I know, I know you don't. I think I just had a moment yesterday where I was like, I have to do this now forever, and I don't want to do this, and they're making me feel sick. Um, yeah, I think when I think when your body gets used to it, yeah, and it evens out, and you stop feeling unwell when you're taking them, that's when you'll be like, oh, this is just part of my daily routine, and I cannot stop going to the toilet on them, like weeing. Yeah, because that one that that one that makes my body think it's a diabetic, it like separates all the sugar and the salt from my food. Yeah. So I have, I think I've gone to the toilet like at least four times today, and that's really unlike me. Yeah. Um, which is a normal amount for a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe I went to the toilet at least twice. <laughs> yeah, and maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's <laughs> maybe like, well, problem. actually, your kidneys are kind of working now. Because yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't go to the toilet from one end of the day to the other. Yeah, I know you don't. You go at night. Yeah, like I don't when go the way at all. Bed. Like, so, anyway, we'll see. I, like, I don't feel, I felt sad about it. And then, like, taking the tablets, I was like, the idea that this is, like, for the rest of my life. And then... Like telling people, like I just I'm tired of telling you people already. You know you don't have to tell anybody. You don't want to tell. Like you don't have to tell anybody. You don't want to tell. Like but your family is one thing. Yeah, but you don't have to tell randomers or anybody you don't. No, want to tell. No, I know that. But everybody in work like knew knew something was up, and I couldn't not tell Rachel. And oh, then when thanks, I, mom. all right, she brought me wine. She brought me wine. Oh my god! She's gone now. She she left. She thought she was a camera. She ran out. <laughs> 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 she was wrong with her. I knew she thought it was a camera. Um, but yeah, I know it's hard when you have to fucking tell people about that bullshit. Anyway, and then I they're like, and like, then they're like, what? What do you yeah. mean? What does so that mean? Like, uh, we're kind of talking around here. So, uh, just for everybody that is listening, I was diagnosed with a kidney disease called IgA nephropathy or Berger's disease, and yeah, that's where we're at. And if you want to know any more about it, Google it because I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> no, and that's the thing. Like, I know I'm only ever asking you how you're feeling. And I only when I'm when I'm asking you how you're feeling, I mean in general because I know it's not like how's your kidney. It's like in general, you know how, how you're doing. No, yesterday my kidneys were killing me. I could feel them. They were hurting me. That's the medication. Yeah. Um, that's, it's 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 now attacking the problem. So you're probably going to feel. Um, and it's I'm, still shite like it's shite and I don't think <clears throat> it's very easy for people to be like oh but you're on medication and, and you're going to be okay it's not really about that it's shite yeah you know that's I mean? the thing it's like and I know everybody's just trying to be nice and, and of course like, they are, I yeah. went to I went to Graham's mom's and she, Graham's mom is lovely but Graham bothered me because he had told his mom but he had mm-hmm. told his mom in the most Graham leddy way where I was like I just you haven't told what her anything he was like she has kidney problems so her kidneys aren't working like and I was like, oh my god! All right, um, but yeah. So then I was like, was she was like, a, what the fuck? No, she was because Graham. Graham is like that because his ma's like that. Graham's mm, ma, mm. when there's something wrong with her, you get like she just tell you a little bit of it, and then you're Half like, a story. Hang on, what does that mean? And then when you get yeah, into it, you're yeah. like, so what happens next now? And she's like, oh, and then I'm like, why aren't you just telling me that in the beginning? Um, <laughs> but um. Yeah, like, it, it is what it is. I just need to not get on with it, but I just need to accept the fact that I have to take this medicine. Yeah. Uh, and apparently I'm going to be skinny soon. Like, because we are weeing out all of my sugar and my salt. Wee, wee, and this, wee, wee, wee. This, la- this lady is going to be doing OnlyFans. Um. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, oh, I need a dry wine. To pay um, for the Ozempic, man, it's very expensive. Yeah, no, that stuff is mad money. So here's the thing: in the Republic of Ireland, you can only use Ozempic for diabetes. Mm-hmm. Also, I listened to a ton of podcasts about Ozempic, and now I don't want to take it. Um, so I rang the doctor to be like, I want to have a discussion about this medicine, and if if it is actually the right thing to do. I know he's yeah. a doctor, but I still think. Like I'll ask the question. I listened well, like, to you have you have other options. You don't have to go on Ozempic. You can choose if you if it's a weight loss thing. 
you can choose to do other things to have weight no, loss. No, it's, it's, it's not a weight loss thing. It's that it there it is shown to be uh, super... It, it works well in kidney failure. So one of the things in the, like, testing of it um, was that it increased pancrea- pancreatitis considerably in some people and then caused it in, like, a third of people that were on the original uh, sample. Um, and it helped with kidney function for people who were, had diabetes, who had damage to oh, their kidneys good. from diabetes. So that's why he prescribed it. He was like, I actually, don't, I actually don't think you'll lose any weight on it. In fact, that's the other thing. When I was reading all the... Um, what do you call them? The... When they are testing the drugs. Testing? Testing? No, you know, they're like sample... Inf- it's Anyway, when I was reading the statistics or the sampling... Actually, most people don't lose a massive amount of weight. They lose about the same amount as if they were on a fat diet. And then once they come yeah. off it, they yeah, yeah, like they it's it being on. hailed as this like people won't be fat anymore. Look at this amazing drug. <laughs> we're getting um, rid of all the fats. Are yeah, you fat. Um, Get ready to die. <laughs> and actually, it's not like it's only so only a third of people on Ozempic in the original trials. That's what. Oh, I'm did you? For. Is this? Did you listen to the maintenance phase? Episode. No, did they do? Yeah, one they on did it? a whole episode. Yeah, they were talking about that. They did a whole episode. Oh, I must the other listen. I must on listen. On Ozempic, it's really good. Those guys, I love them. Um, but yeah, only a third of people lost like I think like forty percent of their overall body weight, and then mm-hmm. most people lost like very not like not ma- not not massive amounts, like literally like yeah, two, three yeah. stone. Yeah. Um. So this thing of it being like it's gonna change and change your life in a absolutely won't and then the other thing is that the patent on it is the drug company own it till 2027 so all of the like alternatives that you're buying like Saxenda and those ones actually don't have the same active drug as Ozempic as Ozempic yeah at all because the Ozempic drug company whoever that is owns it until 2027 because they found it Um, I just find it sad that it's become a drug for people just who want to be thin and then there are people in who United, actually need it but there are people in the United States of America who can't get this drug because every every celebrity every celebrity in Hollywood is using it that's the thing and the other and thing they're that like was, oh I eat a salad and jog no she's on his epic yeah and the other thing is she's that on um, epic. the guy who found it like I watched him like give a speech where he was like, "We've these are this is the outcome of like this drug I've found, and it was purely for diabetics. That's what he was trying yeah, to it was trying purely to help, diabetics. help diabetics. And mm. the results for diabetes on this drug are amazing. But a yeah. side effect of it is that some people lose weight." But that's not what it's for no. in its entirety, and it's like been absolutely. And so the one thing I will say about the Republic of Ireland, which I absolutely agree with, my the professor for my kidneys was like, "I'll I'll put you on Ozempic," but he was like, "It's near impossible to get." And every my GP was like, "I'm not." He asked my GP to prescribe it because he was like, "The mm-hmm. GPs usually have a better chance of like getting it in the mm-hmm. pharmacy." And I rang our GP, and our GP was like, "If it's not for diabetes, we won't prescribe it." And I was like, do you know what? Fair play to you. No, and a lot, I've heard a lot of GPs are doing that and over here anyway. I've heard a lot of GPs yeah. because I know somebody, I'll tell you their name later, okay. who um, <clears throat> went tried to her to get doctor. It. Yeah, and tried to get Ozempic and the doctor was like, not a chance. She wrote this big, long fucking Facebook post giving out about the doctor. And was like, how dare this doctor, blah, 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 blah. And everyone in the comments was like, you're a fucking idiot. You're not diabetic. You're just a size 16. Yeah. You don't need to be, you don't need to be on Ozempic. No, and it's, it's like, like it's it's a scary it's a scary drug. It is it frightens me because honestly, I think it is a new, unfortunately, a new form of an eating disorder for a lot of people. Yeah. This is going to be because when women hear Ozempic and they're like, "I'm going to be skinny and I won't have an appetite," like and that is what it is. And, so. Yeah, it just suppresses appetite. But like that's it's so scary to me because I see so much of eating disorder behavior and the way people talk about it. And that is the thing and it makes is me like sad. It will and also, diabetics fucking need this drug. 
They yeah, need it. it. They will, but also it'll be that thing. I mean, you'll walk into a GP's office as a fat person and they'll go, mm-hmm. oh, Zempic. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing about the Republic of Ireland is because it is only signed off to treat diabetes in like the Republic yeah. of Ireland, <clears throat> yeah. I can't get it on, you know. For the, your kidney disease. I can, no, I can get it, but I can't get it on a drug scheme. So I have to pay full price for it and it's like 700 quid a month. Sarah. So I, that's why I was like, I'm, no. Like, That's ludicrous. But do these do these do these doctors think people are millionaires? What's honestly, going on? Like remember when you were meant to go get that scan and they were like sixteen hundred euro? Yes. I was like, what? And I'll they were do like, the scan. I will do it. Get a camera. I'll show up your vag. Away we go. Like, please bring sixteen hundred euro in cash tomorrow. Please, and I was like, <laughs> like drug dealers, like drug dealers. I was like, um, how about in, no in like, cash? In like, cash. I will absolutely. In, I want it in a. I want it in a small suitcase. You yeah. need to do put a, a handcuff on the suitcase and handcuff it to your hand. <laughs> That's crazy, Sarah. Yeah. Um, I love that they said in cash. That is the funniest thing. Even when I went to the doctor, that professor in James's, he was like two hundred fifty euro cash only or check. We don't have check. a card, and, and then he was like, "We don't have a card machine." And then when I got into the like, it was like St James's private. And yeah. then when I got in, they had like this reception area, and I was like, "I need to pay," so I paid, and she gave me my receipt. And then she was like, "I was like, um, do I have to pay for parking?" And she was like, "Yeah." And they had like a little thing on the wall and she was like, it only takes coins. And I was like, honey, I don't have coins. This is 19 dickity two. And she was, I was like, I don't have any cash other than 250 euro I took out to pay you today. She was like, it's okay, I'll just let you. And I was like, oh God, you're really doing me a favour. You're so kind. I just paid 250 euro to see a doctor for 25 minutes who gave me atrocious news. Atrocious news. And then also, (laughs) I paid the 30 euro for the urine. Remember I said she was like peeing this cup. And then when I came back, she was like, you have to pay me 30 euro on the spot. (laughs) For a cup of piss. For a cup of your own piss as well. It was somebody, just your piss like. You're just paying them to give them your piss. Because I had to pay for it, I didn't clean the cup. I was like, you dirty Yeah, dirty bitch. I was like, well, I've been, I've been worried sick about you uh, consistently, and I know that's not helpful, but I have been, and I've been like, I was texting, um, yeah, the day that you went in, I was, I was with my mom because my mom got her results from her surgery, yeah, and then my mom was like, she was like, Emmy, your face was so red, like my cheeks, cheeks got all red when I was texting you, oh, so she knew something was wrong, and and I was like, no, she's fine, she's fine, because my mom was just about to walk in and get like her results or whatever so yeah like, everything's fine and then when the doctor was talking to me i was like i don't know what you're saying because like i don't know what's <laughs> going on here like i was all over the shop but yeah no it's shit and i'm not gonna say i'm glad you're okay because that's not helpful like i'm glad oh, you're okay or you know when people are like it's good news mm, is it because you're not having to take all this medication yeah and I'm you're not pissing away your life and like do you know what i mean it's it's all well and good for somebody to say that but like you're fucking going through it, man. So if anybody... No, actually, maybe you don't want that. But if Come anybody on. does have that disorder, could you message me on Instagram? I won't send it to Sarah. <laughs> but just like, how are you getting on? What it like entails day to day? Because I think, obviously, you don't want unsolicited advice, but sometimes it is nice to talk to somebody who understands that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if anybody does, send me a message because I'm Sarah's secretary. Um... But sorry, this is a real downer no, beginning of an episode. Talk, no, it's not. You were allowed to talk about this. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about it. And I didn't want to force you to talk about it. But I think it's really good that you talk about it. Like, you know what I mean? And you're yeah. talking about it in a way that like there's no, except me, there's nobody else talking back to you. So. Yeah, I can't um, not talk about it. Yeah, like, I just, talk about you know what I'm like? I don't keep, like Graham was like, Sarah doesn't keep any secrets. I was like, what's the point? No, like, um, and it's, it's, it's fucking, Jesus, dude. Like, this is fucking hard, man. Like, you know, I don't even know. I like, I don't even know what to say about it. I just know that all I know is that I'm here and I'm going to be here and I'm going with you on the 24th and I'm not arguing with you. I'm going with you. And I don't think you can come. No, I can't. My mum, my sister, my mum's my sister went in with her to get her. No, I can't come into the room when you're getting it. No. Um, But my mum's sister went with her to get her biopsies. So I can. Okay. But I can't just be like, hey, can I come in and see what you're doing? Because I'd really enjoy that. Um. <laughs> Take pictures. <laughs> <laughs> leave your camera on leave your camera on when you're in there and let me see what they do but yeah it's a load of shit mm, I agree um, how's your mummy feeling she's okay yeah she's good she's tired she's sleeping a lot 
Um, but her infection is gone and she got her di- uh, her chemo scheduled. She just has to get the dates and how much she's getting and she's doing good. Yeah, she's very strong. Like I will say even, I don't know if I'd be dealing with it this well. You know? I know so you wouldn't. Dealing- what are you talking yeah, about? She- I'd be like, well, this is it. Yeah. In the arms of an angel. Like that would be me. I'm going to play that at your funeral. (laughs) No. No. What do I want at my funeral? Oh, what do I want at my funeral? Everybody always says that high fidelity joke and it really bothers me because I'm like, everybody knows where that's from. They're like, I want One Step Beyond by Madness. No, I don't know what I want. I don't want that. I want something. I want. I want get off by Prince really loud. Get off. <laughs> You're the party goes. Aah! I want that, and then I want Colin to lead the funeral procession <laughs> in a top hat and a cane. Okay, that's what I want. That's what I want. I want you in the funeral procession as well. What? But like, cry, like crying really loudly. I'd be like, you know, those women in Malaysia that you paid to come and cry mm-hmm, at your funeral. Mm-hmm. I'd be like them. That's what I want. Do you That's want your funeral. casket like the way they do in Nigeria where they get them shaped into things that they love? Yes. What would I be? I don't love anything. What do I love? Chocolate. Oh, a chocolate, a Capri's bar. Or like a bowl of cereal. I love that. Were you with me when we saw? Was it you that was with me? What? I don't know. I was, in a, I was in a museum. I don't think it was you. Maybe it was Fabio. I was in a, it was in an art, it was an art exhibit and it was, uh, a South African artist who made specialized coffins. It wasn't you I was with. I think it was Flavio. And they had like about 20 of them in this exhibit. Yeah, it's really they common. Were so fucking cool. Yeah, in South Africa. They were amazing. So they make like, and I think in, uh, in parts of Africa, South Africa, there's like a trend where you get buried in a thing that you love. And I saw, you know, that guy that would just be Ricky Gervais, the bald guy. Oh, everybody's it, screaming at us. Idiot right abroad. Carl Carl Pilkington yeah um, he got one in the shape I think of a Twix or a Kit Kat <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do yeah. <laughs> have you got any housekeeping housekeeping I don't think so <laughs> let me see do you know what the housekeeping I will say here's the housekeeping go on go um, thank everybody that's messaged about your mum so people mm. are still on Facebook someone put thank up you. on Facebook today and they were like I, I listened to the girls on Apple podcast and i haven't gotten an update in three weeks and i was Sorry. like i said you won't be getting one this week either <laughs> <laughs> no you like this is this is the episode it's happening it's happening um no so just everybody that has been very kind about poor emma and her poor mama oh, no, she's grand she's good she's good she's um, doing great thank you very 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 much to everybody that's been being very kind you're very very good and my mama is doing good she is doing she's going great to be fan. She um is. So just thanks to everybody. Listen, we did two live shows. We've had episodes since then, but like I was actually looking at a clip today of that live show and I just thought to myself, it's mad that that happened. Crazy. And I feel like it hasn't happened. I kind of haven't even thought about it really. Yeah, well, uh, but that's gone. because like literally was it the second show where I was like, got called to the GPs and this all yeah. started? This all the shit started then, yeah. yeah. And then like that's what, that, that's what I was saying to, actually to Mam yesterday. I was like, our live shows coincided with Sarah finding out this like awful thing or knowing something was wrong. Yeah. So I was kind of, even when the shows were over or during them, I was kind of like, oh, we have to get the results now. Or she's still, do you I know do what re- I mean? Yeah, no, I remember the day of when we were going to the venue and you were like, we don't have to do the show. And I was like, mm. what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> no, wait, like that. I didn't actually, I know you know this, but for anybody that doesn't know this, the doctor was like, the professor rang me the day my GP referred me. So I knew I was yeah. in... I knew it wasn't good and yeah. it was like can you come in tomorrow and it was the same day as the live show and I was like so um I don't really know how to say this in a cool way but I'm um, I'm in a show I'm a, I'm a big deal <laughs> I, was like, I was like I am the show like and he was like yeah. I was like because I went to him well I have a show and he was like like could you just not not go to the show and I was like no I am the show <laughs> the show <laughs> and he was like oh okay very good and then when i went to see him because i changed this appointment like three times yeah. when i finally got to him last week he was like you had a lot you're very busy and i was like yeah i was like i'm famous i'm a famous like, lady should we do this episode of this show do we have a story yeah i did one 
Oh my god! I told you I did a case today. Of course I did. I didn't think you did. I wasn't yeah, I did. expecting. You. I mean, I know it's totally my turn, but I have a kidney disease. No, no, no. Oh god, here we go. <laughs> this is it now for the oh, next no. year and a half. I'm telling you now, I will never queue in Disneyland ever again. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Colin, tell us about the Patreon. Sure thing, Lily Pops. Hey there, MMI fans. It's me, Colin, and do I have news for you. It's all going down over at www.patreon.com forward slash Irish, where we've totally revamped our Patreon offering for you mega fans. That's right. Now all of your favorite Patreon stuff can be found in one place as we bring you our MMI Super Show exclusively for Patreon, featuring all the usual banter and chat between Emma and Sarah Jane, plus me thrown into the bargain, along with Lily's Tales, Maximilian's Bell Bag, and some surprises along the way. But that's not all. Every single week, due to popular demand, we will be bringing you a full-length story, whether it be Miscellaneous Most Irish for those cases that just don't fit on the main show, Murder Most international for those cases you guys have been crying out for or even music most awesome where we talk about our favorite albums but wait there's even more how about mmi drive the fan favorite podcast show where emma and sarah jane drive around dublin talking about all sorts of shite plus our monthly ask me our segment where you get to pick the brains of the girls and maybe even ask me a question or two so what are you waiting for come on over to www.patreon.com for forward slash murder most Irish and join in the fun for only six euros a month. Give my mommy six euro. So this week I am doing the case of the murder of Marion Beatty. So there are trigger warnings in this for sexual assault, obviously extreme violence towards a woman and absolute incompetence by police. And my references are from BBC Sounds, which is a podcast. Uh, it's Nolan, the Nolan Report, it's called. Uh, and I got some information from Murder in the Badlands, episode four on Netflix, which is very good. I got information from the Irish News, <coughs> from the liberal.ie, um, from bbc.co.uk, from itv.com. I got some information from Reddit. And I think that's all my, I just want to make sure I'm not missing anything. Oh, we are Tyrone.com. So I'll put all my references in so if you guys want to read any further than what we have here. Let's start now. So she was 18. She had brown hair and blue eyes and a button nose. She played camogie. Not very well, according to her brother, but she did love it. Well, that's she tried... a bit mean. Yeah, he's funny though. She tried very hard. She loved music, dancing, and getting dressed up. And she thought about becoming a nun at one point, but she changed her mind. Money was tight in the family. She had five brothers and one sister, so she went to work instead. She was the baby of the family. She was kind, thoughtful, generous, funny, and she was loved so, so much. On the 31st of March 1973, they found her at the bottom of a quarry 100 feet down. Her injuries were so terrible, so devastating, that the coffin remained closed. Her name was Marion Beatty and she was 18. So Marion and her family... These are her brothers and sisters, Fergal, Jim, Una, Gerard, Isidore, and Brendan. Isidore, have you heard that name before? Isidore? As in I-S-A-D-O-R-E. Isidore. That's a nice name. Yeah, Brendan and her mum and dad lived in a small house in Portadown, County Armagh. Isidore... Marion's brother described their childhood as a happy one, a content one. They may not have had a lot of money, but the family was very, very close. Marion and her brothers Brendan and Isidore played sports regularly. It bonded them and gave them an excuse to spend even more time together. They grew up in a country filled with cruelty, war and terror, but their family kept them safe, gave them hope and added a a distraction from the awfulness of the trouble. So this was 1973, so this was like right in the epicentre of what was going on. Okay. Marion had a best friend her name was Nula they played together in primary school but it wasn't until secondary school when they were in the same class that they became best friends Nula spoke so fondly of Marion with such reverence almost shocked that someone could have been as kind as Marion and that she was lucky enough to know her even for a brief time 
She was the kindest, most generous person you could want to meet, Nuda said. I can remember one time my daddy bought me a signet ring for my birthday and of course I lost it. One Friday after Marion had started working, she went into a jeweller's and bought me a signet ring, the same as the one I had lost, so I wouldn't have to tell my daddy that I lost it. She was just a lovely, lovely person. Oh, that's so sweet. A little sweetheart. Marion decided at an early age that maybe she wanted to join a convent and become a nun. But it being Ireland in 1973 and coming from a family of nine, Marion knew she had to get a job instead. So she began working in the Ulster Laces Factory. So I just, I looked up the Ulster Laces Factory. So I just got this bit of information. So at its height, Ulster Laces employed nearly 750 workers at three different sites. A new factory on the Lock Hall Road was opened in 1954 and later extended so that all the production could be concentrated from there. Over a million cardigans a year were produced from Marks and Spencers. Wow. So these factories were opened by Jewish people that were fleeing from Poland and Eastern Europe. So there's... A contingent of Jewish people in that area because obviously they moved there, had their families there and opened factories mm. there. And I never knew that. I didn't so, know that either. No, I had no idea. Marion liked her job. It helped her family financially and it gave her the freedom to enjoy a social life. She loved dancing. She loved attending, attending dances in halls and venues. And it helped that her older brother, Isidore, was a roadie and manager for one of Marion's favourite bands, the Tuxedo Junction. Great name. I think that's a great name for a band. A great name. Isn't it? So Fantastic. On the, night, <laughs> on the night of March 31st, 1973, Marion and her friend Nula asked Isidore if they could attend a fundraising event that Tuxedo Junction would be playing at. Isidore agreed and they made their way to Haddon's Quarry in Ochnacloy, County Tyrone. So this happened in Tyrone. The dance was being held in a barn a few metres from the quarry. Marion's parents agreed to let Marion go as Acknacloy was a small village and her brother would be there, so they presumed she would be safe. Mm. The Beaches were a Catholic family in Portadown. They were always fierce, fearful of the threat of violence towards them, so Acknacloy seemed safer to them than actually being in Portadown. Isidore said the night was relaxed and fun. People seemed to be really enjoying themselves and Marion and Nula spent most of the night on the dance floor. A few hours into the night, a young man appeared at the barn. He walked up to Marion and asked her to dance and she agreed. Another man who seemed to be with the young man Marion was dancing with asked Nula if she wanted to dance, but Nula was like, no, get out of here. Nula watched as Marion danced with the stranger. She then watched Marion walk out of the barn with him. Nula would never see her best friend alive again. And was that like normal behavior for her? <clears throat> yeah, like I mean, they all did that thing where they would, you know, mom. I know my mom used to. They go to the they go to the dances and they'd have a kiss. Do you know what I mean? So it your mother, of course, she did. My mother was a little hoe. Oh, a little hoe. Yeah, I never she did goes, that. No, because we were fucking lo- sad ass losers. Let's be honest. Very <laughs> nice. I can't say anything mean to you anymore because your kidney doesn't work. No, like I was going to say, did you know I have a kidney disease? (laughs) So where was I? As Marion left the barn, she bumped into Isidore and a friend of his. Isidore's friends seemed to know the boy Marion was with. So Isidore decided Marion would be safe and okay. Marion told him, we're just going for a walk. Like Nula, this will be the last time Isidore would see his sister alive. As Nula and Isidore, along with the band, helped load the gear into the van, Nula became worried as to where Marion was. They all sat in the van and waited until 1.30am, 2am and still no sign of Marion. The group knew not to go around the side of the barn as the quarry was there and it was pitch black dark. It was incredibly dangerous. At 2am, Isidore, now panicked, made a call to his house phone. He asked his brother if Marion was home, if she maybe got a lift home from the boy she was dancing with. When he was told no, that she wasn't there, Isidore's blood ran cold. He went back to the van and told the band that he and Nula needed to be dropped off at the nearest police station. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I watched the Badlands documentaries on Netflix today and I fucking bawled for 25 minutes because this woman, this woman, Nula... Oh my God, she broke my heart. Like, she looks like my mum, so I think that's why it was like, I was getting really upset. But she is so sweet and she is 67 and she is still so devastated over this. Oh, like, Her best, best friend. It's horrible. It's so sad. 
Isadora Nula walked into Ochnacloy police station at around 2.30am. They were terrified that something awful had happened to Marion. A few minutes after arriving, they noticed a man in plain clothes entering the building. Nula instantly recognised him as the man who had asked her to, dan- to dance. And he was a police officer. Oh! Yeah. Oh my God! So remember the guy that came up to her and was like, hey, do you want to dance? And she was like, no. Um, and bear in mind now, this guy that asked her to dance, he knew the guy that Marion was dancing with as well. Right. They were there, they were there in the same group. Isidore explained to the police that he believed something had happened to his sister and they needed help. The police told him it was too dark to check the quarry, but that they would send a search party as soon as it got light. Hours passed and Isidore and Nula sat worriedly in the police station, knowing anything could have happened to Marion. The time was of the essence, but the police did not seem to care. As the sun rose, a police officer drove Nula and Isidore around the area to see if they could maybe find Marion. Isidore said, quote, we didn't go near the building. We drove to the edge of the quarry. It was almost as if they knew where they should be going. When we got out of the car, within 30 seconds, I heard a policeman shouting. When I looked over, I knew there was a body lying at the bottom of the quarry. Oh, good God. Isidore said he knew, he just knew it was Marion. The police told Isidore that they had to clear the area immediately as it was a crime scene. So they sent Isidore back to the police station with Nora, Nula, sorry, just to sit there. Just sitting there by themselves. Just knowing that his sister was dead in the quarry. What? Nula said she she was devastated. So, sorry, Nula said Isidore was devastated and he asked Nula not to look at the body, not to look at Marion, as it would be a horrific last memory of her best friend. Isidore then had to make the dreaded phone call to his parents. He said, quote, I had to tell them what was going on. It was the shortest but longest conversation I have ever had in my life. I only spoke a few words, but it felt like it went on forever. Mm. Isidore's mother wasn't in the house at the time, so he spoke to his father. He said he listened to his father cry over the phone and said he could not describe the feeling. Nula sat alone in the police station, hoping that Isidore was wrong, that it wasn't Marion. She said, quote, I remember feeling so alone, awful alone, until later that night my mummy arrived and she was in an awful state too. As the police carried out forensics on the area where the body was found, Marion's family gradually learned that Marion was missing and a body of a young girl had been found dead in the quarry. Gerard and Fergal, so that's their, uh, Marion's brothers, were playing football when Una, Marion's sister, ran out and said their daddy was looking for them. Gerard thought, which which was the usual usual thing, that when their father was looking for them, they'd done something wrong. So they were like, oh shit, what do we do? Mm. The father told them that someone was looking to speak to them. When they looked over to the corner of the room, the parish priest was there. The boys immediately thought their mother had been injured or died whilst out shopping. Boys, I have bad news for you, the priest started. Your sister was found dead this morning at the bottom of a quarry. I feel like this is a very Catholic thing to have a priest tell your children terrible news. Yeah. I don't really understand it. I'll never really understand it. I mean, maybe their father couldn't do it. Gerard and Fergal said they felt like the world had stopped and the bottom had just fallen out of it. When their mother returned, she was told the horrific news. Gerard said she screamed and she screamed and she screamed and the doctor had to be called to administer a sedation. Isidore spoke of having to face his mother, the guilt he felt having brought Marion to the dance. She begged him to tell her that it wasn't true, that the body found wasn't Marion, but he had to tell her that it was. Isidore said when he told her his mother that Marion was dead, that Marion was found in the quarry, that something snapped in his mother. She never really smiled or laughed from that day, that her heart was fully broken and she took that pain to her grave. Oh. When Marion's body was, body was brought back to the Beatty's home to repose, her mother sat and slept by the cl- closed coffin for three days. Oh my God. This poor woman, like, she had a complete nervous breakdown as well a couple of years later. Like, she died 10 years after Marion died. Like, her family said she just gave up. Like, he said that you'd look over, you'd be visiting her, you'd be bringing his, his children over to visit her, and they'd just look over in the corner and she'd be crying. Oh, Jesus. Like, it's fucking... The police carried out door-to-door inquiries as well as speaking to the media asking for help. It was determined earlier on 
early on, I beg your pardon, that Marion's death was not an accident. Her body had been found at the bottom of the quarry. She fell almost 100 feet and her watch, her watch stopped at 1.55 a.m. Marion had extensive injuries to both her face and body. The autopsy revealed that her death was caused by many areas of blunt force trauma. One such in- injury left a circular mark on her forehead. This was described as evidence that the injury was caused by a piece of inch and a half pipe. Did they Whoever find killed- the pipe? Nope. Whoever killed Marion then climbed down to the bottom of the quarry, partially undressed her, smoked two, smoked two cigarettes and left the butts beside her body. And then there was about 50 matches, spent matches, just found around her body. What? Yeah. So this so they, is how her body, they climbed, how her body was found. They odd. climbed down the quarry, uh, partially undressed her, and smoked several cigarettes. I think two, two cigarettes, they found two cigarettes both behind her body, and then just about 50 matches just surrounding her. The police, as well as Marion's family, believe that the man Marion had danced with was the prime suspect. Has to be. Yeah. Marion's brothers believe that this man tried to make sexual advances towards her. And when she rejected him, a struggle ensued. They believe the man attacked Marion and pushed her to her death. The RUC collected a total of 55 items for a forensic examination in 1973. However, nothing came of this. When the Beaties asked for the case to be reopened 20 years later, only two items remained. 53 having been lost or misplaced by the police. The police told the family that this is a reality in historical cases, that things go missing. The family believed that whoever killed Marion knew the area very well. Being able to climb down to the bottom of the quarry in pitch black dark weather would mean that person had to know their way around. The police, however, refused to accept this as fact and believed it was a stranger to the area. Isidore was asked to give the police a description of the man seen dancing with Marion so they could make a photo of it. Isidore gave them the information, but when they returned with the photo of it, he was confused. It looked nothing like the description he gave them. He said, that's not what I told you. That's nowhere close to what I told you he looked like. Oh, Nula also gave a description to the police of the man she'd seen that night. She said he had really long hair, longer than most men had back then. And they would show me the photo of it and I kept telling them the hair was longer. No, it's longer than that. No, it's longer than that. But the police officer kept drawing it shorter, sorry, than what Nula had suggested. The police released the photo fit to the media without changing any of the details that Isidore and Nula had told them were incorrect. Oh, Inspector Callahan of the RUC spoke to Isidore and told him not to worry as there were only 200 people at the dance and they would find the man within two weeks 50 years later and he has still not been found What the hell? As, yeah, as Marion's devastated family buried her as they grieved and waited and waited still nobody was arrested for taking her from them Marion's mother called Inspector Callahan regularly, hoping hoping for an update. Isidore said he told her the same piece of information over and over. He said, quote, we're still investigating, we're still investigating. However, it would seem the police were not investigating. Leads, such as the fact that the man who asked Nula to dance, who knew the man that was Myth Marion, who was a police officer, was never spoken to or investigated. Names that were passed around from people in the area who knew this man or knew of him, were ignored. Marion's family believe that people in the area know who killed her, and so do the police, and it is being covered up. It does sound that way. Mm. So Gerard, who is Marion's brother, said, I have been told that the initial descriptions of a man who left with Marion had long blonde hair. However, when two witnesses came to a police lineup, there was no one with long blonde hair in the lineup. Oh, okay. I believe the police were protecting someone. Jared Beatty believes he knows who this man is, that he has seen pictures of him. He knows what county he lives in, but he does not want to give a name. In the weeks following Marion's death, two police officers arrived at the Beatty household. Now, this is allegedly. According to Gerard, they told him and Isidore and their mother and father that the police knew who mar- murdered Marion, but they could not touch him. Gerard said Isidore told them to get out and never come back. Say that again. So basically, Gerard said him, Isidore, and their mother and father were in the house a couple of weeks after Marion had been killed. Yeah. 
two RUC police officers came to the door to speak to them and they invited them in and they were talking to them and it's almost like they were trying to be kind in a weird way. Yeah. Where they were like, listen, we know who did this, but we can't touch him. We can't do anything. That doesn't make you feel better. No, this is the height of the troubles. And like there is this thing where every murder in Northern Ireland in the 70s was somehow everybody thought it was related to the troubles. Always it was related to the troubles or the um, paramilitaries or whatever. But like the fact that they said we can't touch him sounds like it is related to that. Yeah. But obviously I don't know. That's only allegedly, of course. Allegedly. Yep. So this would be the last the Beaches would hear from the police regarding Marion's case. It lay cold until 2009 when the family received a letter saying the police were reopening Marion's case. Jared met with the police and spoke to them. When he was leaving, the police asked him if there was anything he needed to say to them. Jared asked them if Marion's death was anything to do with paramilitary activity or the RUC. The officer replied, you're on the right track. Oh, in 2019, the Nolan Show on the BBC podcast Getting Away With Murder, The Murder of Marion Beatty, spoke to Assistant Chief Constable George Clark of the PSNI regarding Marion's case. Okay, so just for anybody who's not Irish, the RUC was the Royal Ulster Constabulary. That changed its name to the PSNI. The PSNI. It would turn out that the Beatties learned more about Marion's case from this podcast than they had from the police. Oh, for fuck's sake, do they not even have a liaison officer? Nothing. They have nothing. So it was only when they listened to this podcast that they were like, sorry, what? That's horrendous. Yeah. Clark told the podcast that 1973 was a very different time. And although there were murders carried out due to the troubles, people forget that other murders not connected to it did happen. And he believed Marion's murder was one of these. The Nolan podcast put it to Clark that two RUC officers had told the Beatty family that they knew who killed Marion. Clark immediately dismissed this saying, well, I've looked at the papers and this murder was investigated in 73, 2006 and again between 2011, 2013. I have seen nothing in the papers that suggests there was any decision not to arrest any suspect or there was any paramilitary connection to this murder. Mm. Clark also explained that the evidence disposed of by the police was done so due to standards at the time. This means that Marion's clothes, the matches, cigarette butts and other items that DNA advances could have used to find her killer have all been destroyed. So in 2013, the Beatty family made a fresh appeal for information on Marion's murder. Criminologist Robert Giles began looking into Marion's case. He called the murder cruel, vicious and very creepy. Giles believed the man spent a series of matches to observe Marion's body because it was pitch black dark. Oh. So he was lighting the matches so he could like look at her. Oh God, that's awful. That's terrifying. That is fucking terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And then removed her clothing. So Giles, although initially the police said there was no sexual assault on this case, this um, murder was not sexually based. Uh, this guy believes that's not true. He said Ma- he watched watched Marion's body with matches and then removed her clothing. So he believed there was a sexual element to her murder. There had to be. Why would you take her clothes off? Wait, you hear this next creepy part, which was not in the original police uh, files and he found it. It was also noted that buttons had been ripped from Marion's clothes and were placed in a neat pile beside her body. Oh, Emma... Giles said this showed some showed someone who went from an out of control behavior to a very controlled behavior quickly. Mm. So he did these awful things and then he pulled off her buttons and put them in a pile beside her body. And then there was people going, oh, I think it was an accident. It, that's not an accident. Yeah, that is not an accident. The crime scene was disorganized and Giles summarized that this was usually indicative of a younger assailant, someone who was not who had not thought through the murder, but worked on impulse. Giles also believed that the killer definitely had knowledge of the roads and the quarry and disagreed with the police that he was not a local person. So he found newspaper from newspapers from weeks following Marion's death in which people in the area mentioned that witnesses would not go to the police as they knew who this man was and they could be in danger if they mentioned his name. The belief is that this man is being protected by his family and by the community. 
When he investigated Marion's autopsy report, he noted that he believed there definitely had been a struggle, which means that the man who killed her more than likely would have suffered some facial injuries. It emerged later that a number of people were willing to come forward anonymously and say that they had seen a man with cuts on his face immediately after Marion's death. Many people in the area mentioned this, that this man also began acting strange after Marion's death. He wasn't going to work and he just randomly left the country. Oh. The police were aware of this, but the man in question was never investigated. What? Yep. In 2014, Robert Giles went, went to meet with an elderly man who said that he knew who murdered Marion Beatty. He told Giles that the man was still alive, but had moved out of the area. However, he refused to give Giles a name. With the information the elderly man had given him, Robert was able to question people around the town and was eventually given a name. Oh. When Giles returned to the man and told him the name, the man said, yes, that is who murdered Marion. Robert Giles spoke to Marion's family and a leaflet was produced asking the area for any information they may have. Can I just say also, Robert Giles, right, that one of the, so he started investigating this case in 2014 mm. as a criminologist because he was going to write a book about it, about the missing women in that area. Oh, okay. And then he asked to meet the Beaches in 2016 and when he met them, he became so like he loved them so much that he was like I'm not writing this book I just want to help you Oh, so he's just actually helping them he's not trying to do that so I just thought that that was actually quite wonderful that he was like I just want to help you that is wonderful he's quite yeah. young by the looks of he things he's quite young yeah he is Saraman is um, linked in so he's going to get an right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going to google you and then yeah. the podcast is going to come up um, I think he'd be really interesting to have on but I don't think we're intelligent enough to interview a man like that like he knows what he's doing I'm a criminology graduate from the University of Ulster Jordanstown campus I'm going to fully uh, link in with him link- say hey buddy Maybe do. Maybe ask him, would he like to speak to us? Okay. I'll, I've I already added him as a friend okay, on LinkedIn. Cool. And if he gets back to you, be like, hey, uh, come talk to us, please. Hey. Um, so, yeah. Oh, sorry, it's me, blah, blah. Tits McGee. Tits McGee. Uh, da, da, da. Giles, sorry, Robert spoke to Marion's family and a leaflet was produced. I said that. Giles said he could see the hurt and pain in the Beatty family, but also with strength and determination. And he started trying to help them. And he, they, he said they became very important to him. The oh, family and many. Yes, the family and many people connected to the case state that the Beatty family had suffered an enormous amount of disrespect from the police. From the podcast, giving them information they did not receive. Like they didn't have that information. And the police went to the podcast and told them that. From the police not contacting them or even trying to show them that they cared about Marion's murder. In 2019, the family received a letter from an anonymous source. The letter, which was handwritten, pointed to an individual whom they stated was responsible for Marion's murder. The author of the letter spoke about a fear in the community in 1973 and suggested this being the reason that no one came forward. They ended the letter by saying they hoped Marion's family would get the peace and justice they deserve. The name that was mentioned in the letter was the same name given to Robert Giles by the elderly gentleman. Fuck me, everybody knows who killed her. Yep. In the autumn of 2020, Robert Giles, along with the Beatty's solicitor, created a file containing the information that they had discovered on Marion's murder and sent it to the PSNI. As of today, the Beatty's have received no response. What? Yep. On the 15th of September 2021, a man visited a police station and was quested, questioned and then arrested for the murder of Marion. The police actually contacted the Beaches this time regarding this and they were over the moon. This was the first time the police had actively contacted them. Now, could this be because they learned a documentary was being made by Netflix about Marion's murder? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Either way, nothing has come of this man being questioned. The family once again have not received any further information from the PSNI. The Beatty family continue to try and find answers as to why their sister was taken from them and who did it. The dignity and strength of this family cannot be overstated. They are remarkable in their resilience and the love for their sister in this constant face of a constant face of obstacles. So on the 30th of March this year, the Beatties unveiled a monument in honour of Marion at the quarry where her body was found. The family read the following statement. 
As the recent events have shown, violent attacks and abuse towards women are prevalent features even in today's society. It is up to all of us to effect significant change. And as a family, we hold on to hope, even 50 years later, that Marion's murder will be brought to justice. We are now calling on the Chief Constable Simon Byrne to meet with our family and to discuss with us how Marion's case can be progressed. The family met with the police ombudsman in February 2022 and we are asking that the ombudsman now meet with us again to update us as to when this report will be finalised. After 50 years as a family, we deserve answers as to why Marion's murder investigation was flawed from day one and what steps will now be taken to rectify this. If Marion could speak to you all today, we believe she would say that her soul is now in the Lord's hand, but justice for her murder is in all of our hands. The Beatty family have two wishes, that Marion's killer be brought to justice and that she is never forgotten. And that is the case of the murder of Marion Beatty and how those poor people have been fighting for the last 50 years to get a single fucking answer on what happened to their sister mm. and they can't get one because the police are actively fighting against them I just look at her picture of her she <laughs> she does look like your mum doesn't she yeah she does yeah. she's very but pretty like, it's desperately sad and her family are like like one of her brothers moved to America uh, Isidore moved to America and when they asked him why he moved to America he said I moved to America because I thought I was going to do something I regretted oh yeah so uh, her her mother died when she was uh, 10 years after uh, Marion was murdered. Her Their father died of dementia and when he was like 86, I think, he said like the family have just been completely torn apart. Like they're trying. And the worst part about it is they're trying so hard, so hard. And it's like the police are like, no. And then they ring them and tell them they've arrested someone a couple of weeks after they find out there's going to be a documentary. Documentary, yeah, and then nothing else. Yeah, and for that, I listened to the interview with that Constable Clark and him being like, well, you know, stuff gets destroyed. Okay, but like, you're not, that's not, you can't say that to a family. You can't, that, that is, there is DNA, there is information on that, that they could have easily, I'm not, they could have found Marion's because I can assure you, whoever did that, that is not his first like yes. and not his last incident of that. No, it's not his last. But it also shows the fear in these communities. Oh, Emma, that's prevalent. Like, just the absolute fear that these people have that if they say anything, someone in their family is going to be murdered. Yeah, no, honestly. And I instead can... of the yeah, and like you know that in Ballier, like people don't you don't snitch. Yep, you don't. You know. Um. And I know, like, there's many people that I know that things have happened to, you know, and it's just like, like, don't say anything, you know? Yeah, you don't, like, just mind your business, kind of that kind of mentality about yeah. it. But I just, I know, Mar I'm sure Marion's family are in no way ever going to listen to our podcast, but I'm going to put, they have a Justice for Marion Beauty page, I'm going to put that up. Um, I'm sure they have some more uh, other things that I can pop up as well, but if you guys could just, because, uh, like... The frustrating thing about it is if they had not lost, destroyed or whatever they did to that information and those samples, I am telling you now they would have found him. Yes. Like they absolutely would have found him. And apparently her, like the file they had on her, mm. they only, half of it disappeared. What? So how does half of a file disappear? Yeah. And not, not the like the file? entire thing. Not the full file. And then apparently there was a fire in one of the police stations or something and they they tried to blame it on that. And the guy in the podcast said, but can you definitely confirm her information was in there? And he was like, no. So why are you talking about a fire? Yeah. Like he danced around everything. And he was like, it definitely wasn't um, linked to. And he was like, the guy was like, even if it's not linked to paramilitary stuff, if the reason that it happened isn't, is, so the reason it happened is probably not paramilitary based, but the secrecy and around it, surrounding it is more than likely paramilitary based. Yeah. That's where, because they're not getting that when they're like, we don't think she was killed because she was part of the IRA. That's yeah. not what we're saying. But we're saying whoever she, whoever killed her could possibly be on either side of that. Yeah. And they've, they've like, these people have gathered so much information and Robert Giles has been amazing and helped them so much. And the police are like, la, la, la. Like, we're just going to ignore this. And now insane. she's, her, her case has been moved to the legacy department. So it's not an active case. They've put it in this legacy department where it takes so long for them to even get to the cases because she apparently her murder is not paramilitary based. So they're like, OK, but it is 
it is move it to the paramilitary base yeah. primes because they'll be looked after quicker but they won't do it so fuck the police this is insane. A cab, baby, because a cab, a cab. Someone had a fight with you today about me saying a cab. Who had a fight with you? Um... Did you tell them your kidney's broken? <laughs> no, I didn't. I was like, okay. "You're an idiot, a cab." <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you are wrong, and I am correct. A cab, um... baby. But how could you not be a cab when you read stories like that? Yeah, but they were like, I just think that's a really broad statement. I think people speak in these generalized terms nowadays. I'm like, do you know what? Sure. Do you know what? Sometimes you just want, don't want to argue. You just want to say a cab. I spent all day yesterday fighting with men on the internet. And I <gasps> I was getting my Tell period. me. What did I you spent do? all day yesterday fighting with men on the internet. And I made them so mad. And I was just tee-hee-heeing. And they were so mad. Oh my God. Tell me. What was <laughs> um, it? I decided I'm not doing it anymore. But last yesterday, I just let myself fight with men on the internet. <laughs> so the, these girls, these I like these two girls. They have podcasts. They're really funny. And they put up this really funny video of them on a night out. And men were just... Like men don't like seeing women have fun. Oh, why were they, they doing? Ju- they were just having fun. Like they were. They're. I'll send you the video. You'll see my comments underneath it because I went ham. Oh, I oh. went ham. I was so mean, and they were getting so mad. So they were like, you know, they make like a shitty statement, like, oh my god, that the one of them is hot, the other one's built like a fridge. So I was leaving like cunty comments underneath it. But I was teeing. Like I wasn't. I was just having a teehee. And I told one guy. Here's the thing about men. Men will call women emotional, right? And then they will make a shitty comment and I'll leave a comment underneath it going, what did I say to one guy? I want to read you what I said to one guy. He (laughs) wanted to kill me. Where is it? Like he wanted me dead. Where is he? Here. Where is it? Uh, I can't remember what I said to him, but it was only like a little joke thing. I was like, I was teeing. And then he got so mad. Um, Oh, so I said to him, he put up this, he had his profile picture and he was wearing like fake, clearly fake Burberry. Oh, God. He he said something about one of the mean girls. And I was like, you know, you're dressed like a sofa. You probably shouldn't be talking about (laughs) women. And then he left a comment going, lol, don't know what Burberry is. And I was like, no, I do. I can afford the real stuff. Oh, my God. You think I called his mother a cunt? He was like, you fat, ugly fucking cunt, bitch whore. Why don't you fucking go die? Like he, and then he tried to like start leaving comments on my on our page. What? So I just left a comment being like, I'm just going to block you. Like, I don't know what you think is going to happen here. So I blocked him. I was so mean to men last night. Oh, and, then I told him, and then I told another man that his chain that he was wearing was fake. Well. <laughs> well. It all kicked off. I got everybody screaming at me. Like it was fucking. And then all these other girls started like liking my comments and even comments and they got so mad. So. And all men can say to women is you're fat. That's all they can say. They're like, you're fat or you're ugly. They have nothing else. Whereas I I love women because women get in there. They get into the nitty. They'll make you feel like this tiniest piece of crap on the planet. Send me this video. I want to see these girls having fun. I they're so I love them. They have a po- I don't like the podcast network that they're on. They're on that Barstool Sports, which I hate, and I wish they would leave it. But I like them. Uh, there you go. You'll see all my comments. Me being like, your hair is stupid, and they're like, I'm gonna find you and murder your mom. Like that's what they're like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I think your shoes are stupid, and they're like, have you about killing yourself? Like they can't deal with it. <laughs> It's the best. Um, I think that's everything. Have you got anything to add? No, like nothing. I just, uh, everybody, happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, everybody. Have a good week. Um, Colin, come back. Hello. Come back, Colin. Hello. Colin. Okay, say goodbye to everybody. Bye, everybody. Colin, do you know what I was was listening to yesterday? You were listening to, to the sound of your own voice being... A sociopath on the internet from what I heard yes I was <laughs> but you know what else I was listening what? to uh, the, the, you know the Republic of Lee's album that's really good girl I'm gonna fuck you up how come you how come you like that now how come you like that man singing nasty things about women I don't know that's just a really good album yeah I don't know I don't know I think girl I'm gonna fuck you up has led to a hundred a hundred and thirty five episodes of Murder Most Irish well, I fought with all the men on the internet yesterday, so I am a true feminist. There you go. 
for for I'm for the women right, by the women. Place, yeah. And you know what? Um, oh, can I do yeah. a shout out? Because I've said this to you about seventy five million times, and you've never you've never said it. So I Go want on. to do a shout out to a lovely uh, person by the name of Kala. I think it's Kala or Kavla, C A B H L A. Uh, the girl that did the art did some lovely 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 uh, artwork for us yes. and I want, really wanted to say thank you because uh, thank you it's thank in, you it's in my, uh, my office at work it's in the National Art Gallery <laughs> well maybe maybe we ha- maybe we haven't given her a shout out because you didn't bring it home I didn't bring it home uh, because yes I didn't bring it home <laughs> it's still, it's still work. <laughs> well thank you so much yeah. Pablo we really appreciate and it also, thank you there was a it's very beautiful very well. very nice people that I've met uh, in around the George and in just in town and I forgot all your names I'm so sorry but uh, there's been a, a great spate of people uh, bumping into us and uh, I met a, a a lovely girl called Marie uh, on Saturday night in the George last night in the George Aww. and she was very very nice so so if you're listening Marie how you doing uh, and yes, that's that's what I needed to say. <laughs> well, I would like to say hello to Anya that I met in Longford Shopping Centre, um, who I believe was going into the bathrooms after me and I hope she did not use my cubicle because I just ran <laughs> pumpkin spice latte and I wrecked it. So apologies, Anya, if you smell my shit. But it was very, very nice to meet you. No, Emma, uh, you could have said so that in another way. Sorry, if you sm- sorry that I pooped. No, what did I say? You could have just, <laughs> just left that out. <laughs> no, we got to leave the shit in. The shit's the best part. Smear um, shit all over the walls. <laughs> no, I didn't. I cleaned up after myself. And I have poo poopery. I have poo spray. Poo spray. Yeah, so it doesn't leave a spot. I suppose that's at least responsible of you. But just shout out to Anya. Apologies, Anya. My eyeshadow is lovely. Let me see. Oh, it is nice. It's kind of like... um. What's the what's the word I'm looking for? Don't know. Opaque? No, I don't know what I'm saying. Nude. Iridescent. I had half, <laughs> I had half a glass of wine, so I don't know what's going on. Mm. Uh, okay, I'll stop. I say goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Oh man, what a wonderful day in Houston House. It's a beautiful day. Oh, I wonder who could be at the door. How are you, Bono? Edge. What's happening? Did you listen to that podcast I recommended to you? No, man. I've been too busy hammering nails into the soul of the tree of pain. Two feminists bitching on a podcast talking about murders. It's an interesting podcast. It's a podcast. One's from Longford, one's from the big schmuck. They started telling stories, now the internet is broke. So you think you feel blessed But she's in a bad mood Because one of them is deaf Stone deaf Sarah Jane, Sarah Jane Can't say her second name Mainly cause her husband Graham Don't want any of the blame Oh Oliver, Jack, oh Bella Oh Hades be good for your mammies Cause they're two scary ladies So be careful if you're hanging on the Liffey Valley car park Cause it's all about the matriarch They're looking for young fellas, looking for creeps They grab them and they throw them in the back of Sarah's Jeep And they pull out their fucking teeth My, my, my men are scum All men are scum